Hello, and welcome to the HP Lovecraft Book Club. Uh, in this podcast, I am going through every work by Lovecraft that I can get my hands on, including the letters and including the revisions, and that brings us here today. Um, we've looked at a couple revisions or collaborations, I best might be a better term. I, I've talked in the previous episode how you know we need to there's different categories in this. There are things that are ghost written, there are things that are collaborations, there are things that are that are just revised, and it, it it helps to identify those before we look at you know, really examine them. Now this one that I want to look at today is called The Last Test. And it is uh, it was written in 1927, published in November of 1928 in Weird Tales. Uh, this is a true collaboration. Uh, so Alfonso de Castro was the was the original writer of the story, and kind of a draft was given to Lovecraft, and he significantly reworked it. He added a lot. He did a lot of polish. He, he uh, now apparently it seems the story was pretty bad um, when Alfonso de Castro gave it to Lovecraft, and, he, and Lovecraft did a lot to kind of clean it up and make it what it is now, which is a fairly fascinating, uh, weird tale. Not fully Lovecraftian, but with a lot of Lovecraftian elements in it that we're going to, to talk about. So it's a, it's, it's a true collaboration. Like, it wouldn't exist without Alfonso de Castro, but it also probably wouldn't exist or wouldn't have been published if not for Lovecraft's contributions. So they will bring something to it. Um, and it's pretty clear what some of the elements that Lovecraft brought to this particular story. It's one of two revisions that uh, Lovecraft did with de Castro. The second is The Electric Executioner, which is uh, a bit of a malign tale I, I saw looking around online, but I liked it. I thought it's it's kind of interesting. Set in Mexico, which is a, a nice twist, and kind of you get the Mexican variants of some of these um, Lovecraftian gods. Um, you know, actually, the last test. I, I was actually having flashbacks of my series on Aerosmith by Sinclair Lewis, where we have a uh, someone who seems on the surface committed to science and trying to cure diseases and try to find a you know a, a treatment for the fever in that case. Now, in it was, I guess they were searching for a cure in bacteria, in a bacterial plague in, in infestation in Aerosmith. Here, it's, it's an attempt. The doctor's trying to use science to solve a fever. At least that's what he says he's trying to do. Um, really interesting tale. It's a really wonderful one. It, it's rather long. The audiobook is two, two hours. It's, it's something like 40, 50 pages uh, in the version I have. So it's, it's, it's a long tale, but it... it it's interesting, and it's, it moves pretty quickly, and it doesn't drag. So it's a, it's a short little novella, and it works well as a novella. So basically, the two, there's three main characters here. There's, um, well, there's a fourth, but I'll talk about them a little bit later on. Georgina Clarendon is uh, this woman who's, who's kind of, the moral center is more of a traditional female role, unfortunately, where she's dominated by male figures around her. And her actions get limited, but she does play a key role in the story. Um, Alfred Clarendon, her brother, uh, who's basically like, also like her caretaker. Now, Alfred Clarendon is this doctor, uh, this research uh, doctor uh, who's trying to cure essentially a, what he calls a black fever, but actually is a... Well, we'll get to what it actually is. But he, he claims to try to be find, trying to find the cure for infectious diseases. And then we have uh, 
Dalton, James Dalton, who's the governor of California. Now, Clarendon and, and Dalton were friends way back in their past. And actually, James Dalton has this interest in marrying uh, Georgina Clarendon. She, they do, but it's after the events of the novel, after everything else is resolved. Um, so the first chapter of this book, we get the an introduction to kind of that there was the Clarendon controversy and, 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 and there was an issue with what Clarendon did. Uh, we know that he's the medical director, research, med research scientist, research doctor at San Quentin in San Francisco. In fact, both this and the electric executioner are set partially in San Francisco. Um, so we get then Alfred Clarendon's background. He kind of the narrative goes back to this background of Alfred Clarendon, how he rose quickly at school how he worked early on in trying to end fever deaths and he was really a hard-working researcher and that's why he kind of reminds me of Aerosmith in this way without the supernatural elements I mean Aerosmith doesn't have the supernatural stuff that this story has but this idea of a hard-working dedicated like research scientist uh, who's willing to travel and, and and take risks to for science that's that's the way he's presented early on you find out more about him later on in the story that undermines this argument undermines this perspective, but it's still sort of there. Um, so he travels to all these exotic places ostensibly to find um, uh, cures and treatments and knowledge and, and to follow where the disease is, the disease he's trying to eradicate. Um, but you, you, you know you're reading a, like, it's a partially a Lovecraft story, so you know that's trouble. Traveling to distant places is usually bad news. It gets you into a big mess. In fact, one time he brings back these Tibetan servants who become kind of a, a posse around him. So it's already kind of creepy early on. Like, that's not normal. And in fact, these Tibetans are all very um, thin and, 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 and look strange. Uh, he also went to Africa to study these Saharan people. So again, if, if, you read, if you read a lot of Lovecraft, you're getting these, these things are flashing in your head. You're like, oh, shit. You know, the Sahara, that's the, the nameless cities there. That's bad news. Um, again, I you know, I don't want to do it like back to back, compare the original draft. If I could find it with this tale, I'd rather just read this tale and, and, and kind of guess what Lovecraft added to it. But I, I wonder, like this Saharan connection, it sounds pretty Lovecraftian to me. Um, and he actually brought back... Uh, this guy named Sarama. So he's like, Sarama is like the fourth main character in the story. And he's brought back from the Sahara as well. And he's also got this thin, skeletal, almost mummy-like look, you know? It's like, it's kind of like a Wilbur Watley's kind of goatish face. It's like, he looks off and weird. But, or, or the uh, in Arthur German, you have the same thing. Like, someone just looks off. And it's because you don't expect to see someone who's like a half monkey. So you just kind of say their face looks weird, right? And it's kind of like that way with him. It's like, in the right light, it looks like it could be a mummy. But he can't be a mummy, right? So it's, he's just an old guy. He's just wrinkled and thin. Um, whatever, right? But there's something there. And we get a little drop, a little bit of teasing here about the connection between Atlantis and this Sarama that's established early on. Um now, eventually, though, after all these travels, he locates himself in San Francisco, and he really wants to do public, wants to work in a public research institution to do his research. So he's, when he's in San Francisco, he resumes his friendship with Dalton, and Dalton, using his power as the governor, gets him this job in San Quentin. 
so chapter two picks up in his in in san quentin where he's this medical research director guy he's like the head doctor for san quentin and, you know, for doing research and this is kind of a creepy part of the story is how like if you were a prisoner you were just subjected to these kinds of experiments this this kind of stuff happened right we know sterilization eugenic kind of research was done in in prisons um, you know, this was not an uncommon thing in the in Lovecraft's day, where it's just basically if you were a prisoner, you really couldn't say no to these these kinds of essentially these experiments, right? Um, but eventually, this this thing called black fever hit San Quentin. This is a made up disease, which we find out later on has supernatural origins. But you know, it it, it seems just like a variant of of the other kind of infectious viral diseases that, that have affected humanity for centuries. Um, but with this, Clarendon takes on these cases himself. When, when there's a case of this black fever, you, he tries to control the case. Uh, and he treats them, and these treatments fail. Like, he treats them, he treats their symptoms. He claims to be finding the cure for this, but the patients usually die, right? So there's this gradual spread of this black fever through the prison. Now, here's something that's really clever. I think, I don't know if it was Lovecraft or DeCastro added this, but there's a debate over whether this is contagious or not. That, uh, and partially it's cleared in throwing shade on the truth of what's going on. But when you find out how this actually spreads, that actually this is something that, that Claritin is spreading himself the supernatural disease, which he's spreading as part of a larger nefarious cosmic plot. You're like, oh, okay, that explains why they couldn't decide whether it's contagious. Like, because people who were in the same cell wouldn't get it, and other times people in the same prison would get it or would spread around. But it's spreading through an entirely different mechanism. That you know. So it looks sort of sometimes contagious and sometimes not. And that's why there's this debate among the doctors over the spread of this. But eventually this black fever spreads within San Quentin and a little bit outside San Quentin, but not generally among the population. So that's another kind of aspect of this is, you know, the fear, the public panic about the disease. It's great stuff, I think. Um, you get a lot here, too, on the media. And the media is kind of building up paranoia about this disease. you got quacks are trying to sell their treatment for the black fever um kind of this you know what's the rational way to deal with epidemics in a society these are all things that show up in aerosmith so i was thinking about him and thinking about that novel when i was reading this um but the weird thing is like the black fever isn't spread and here again i think it's just genius that had he made it like an epidemic disease it could you know, then the final revelation of what the disease actually is doesn't make sense because you couldn't have spread it individually, you know, if it's spreading that fast, right? It, you know, but it's still mysterious. It's like it still seems to be spreading among the population, though. It's not like ha happening randomly like a cancer. Now, he becomes the center, then Clarendon becomes the center of this media controversy because, one, he's not treating this, and, and he, he seems it started from the, the prison. So there's that thing, and the media will come and bother him, and this Saranma becomes almost like his guard, and he kind of deals with the curious media. But there's one guy who kind of does get in. He sneaks in, but he's caught by Saranma, and he's someone who starts to ask questions about the reality of this character, this Saranma, who's just a weirdo. He's like... 
you know, doesn't look real, and he seemed to have superhuman strength, and he just does, there's something off about him. Um, and he starts to write about kind of the oddness of Claritin and his home. And it's got all this, this posse of weird Tibetans and this, this weird African mummy man. Um, so this starts to drip into the media, too. So he starts to get a bad reputation for himself. Um, but the biggest problem here is this mass fear over this uh, plague that seems to be spreading and, and killing people. Um, but the, the, maybe personally for Clarendon, the most dangerous thing is the revelation of this story about uh, Clarendon's home and its oddities and Sarama, his weird kind of companion. Um, so we get here, a little bit of Sarama's past is revealed in this part of the story. I can find the right page. Um, yeah. Oh, sorry. Where is it? Here. She did not, this is talking about Georgina. She did not like the Tibetans either and thought it very peculiar that Sarama was able to talk with them. Alfred would not tell her who or what Sarama was but had once explained rather haltingly that he was much, a much older man than would commonly thought credible and that he had mastered secrets that had been experiences calculated to make him a colleague of phenomenal value for any scientist seeking nature's hidden mysteries. Um, a lot of fun in the story actually between Sarama and Clarendon over like who's the master and who's the apprentice. It's, it's really uh, nice. I, love, I really like this story. This is the first time I really read it seriously and I, I, I think I've been missing out. Um, now, Dalton, the governor, he's trying to do what he can from his position as governor to try to repair Claritin's declining reputation. And eventually he decides to go, it's almost like he feels he, he, that Claritin owes him a favor. So he goes to Claritin to discuss marrying Georgina. And he refuses outright. He like really blanches at this. Um, and eventually even breaks his friendship with Dalton over this proposal of marriage. Um, and at the end of this scene, Dalton actually encounters Sarama and also gets this weird vibe from Sarama. So it's not the first time we've seen. So several characters have this weird experiences with this Sarama guy. All right, then we get to chapter three. Um, there's growing anti-Claritin feeling in the, in the public. Um, but the illness doesn't seem to be breaking out. It doesn't seem to be spreading radically. In fact, most of the illnesses seem to be afflicting the Mexicans. So we get a little bit of a racial thing here. And again, it, it makes sense when we find out the mains that the disease spreads, that it's spreading through actual Claritin or Sarama actually physically transmitting the disease on an individual basis. And so you can imagine them going out at night to these Mexican quarters and picking on the, the people that maybe won't be missed quite as much. Um, now Jones, he's like the secondary doctor, um, in the hospital and he uses this epidemic to move on Claritin and he actually, there's a whole interesting political process here. It's not something that's normally in a Lovecraft story to any great extent, but he adds it here. Um, or I don't know if that was a De Castro element, but you get this kind of coup d'etat in San Quentin where Jones reveals to the city council how he failed and how he's like experimenting on people and how he's mistreating these subjects and, and he kind of 
exposes all this, and so the city council moves to basically take away the right of Dalton to appoint the head doctor at San Quentin. Uh, and this, so the state just moves in pretty aggressively uh, to expel Clarendon from San Quentin, and it works. Jones takes over, um, but he's still, you know, confused about the contagiousness or not of this disease. In fact, I think he changes his mind. He originally thought it was contagious, and now he thinks it's maybe not contagious. Again, I just think that the the distribution path of this, like the geography of this disease is so off what normal patterns you normally expect that it's, it's hard to come to a conclusion about the contagiousness or not. And I think that's, I just think that's a brilliant addition by, by one of the two authors. Um, so eventually his, Clarendon's re, full resignation is demanded and he gets it and he has to, he has a fight with Jones and the chair, chairman, but eventually he's out. So that's chapter three. It's a relatively short one. Then we get to chapter four. And so chapter four mostly covers Clarendon's like depression, his feelings of being persecuted, his belief that, I mean, he says like, if I just had three more months, I could have cured this fever, but I wasn't denied that, right? Um, and, but instead of kind of pursuing it like a good mad scientist would, and he is sort of a mad scientist archetype here, he just gives up study, he kind of abandoned his clinic and he just sort of chills out he just becomes a bit of a bum and georgina ends up having to take care of him and and, and keep eyes on him and she starts begins to fear for her brother's um sanity and things like that but he also she i mean georgina also hears these sarama's rituals so she starts to spend more time in the house caring for alfred and she starts to see more of sarama and his weird and obviously bizarre behavior um so but at some point there's like a radical change in Clarendon where he kind of gets out of his funk and goes back to work um and Serana begins to you know work more closely with with Clarendon and Georgina gets more and more terrified of their talk. In fact, she overhears conversations between Sarama and Clarendon, which really reveal that what's going on here is something supernatural. Sarama seems to have some sort of plan. She questions whether he's the real leader, not just the follower, and it's not Clarendon who's really in control here. I think that's a wonderful twist, actually, is, you know, you go from, like, Clarendon being the charge to Sarana being in charge, and then at the end you realize that it's not really... They're more partners at the end. It's like this, how we understand this relationship evolves over the course of the story. Um, but in any case, they're doing some kind of strange, strange rituals, right? This is all like Lovecraftian kind of stuff. Um, Georgina even sees like Sarama shoot one of the Tibetans, a guy named Sampo, and they fight. And he seems to get the black fever. And so... Georgina, like, freaked out by all these events. I mean, seeing this was just too much for her. So she contacts, or she confronts Alfred and says, like, what's going on here? I need to know. And Alfred claims um, to be, you know, that he just continues saying that he can cure this disease if he just has the time 
and the resources and the and the job, right? He, he's he's thinking more about he he talks openly more about professional jealousies, like he's afraid Jones or someone else will steal his work or get a vaccine, get a cure before he will. He he's bothered by his loss of subjects, but he just dodges uh, Georgina's requests for real an expl- a real explanation about what's going on in this. Um, you know what kind of weird experiments are taking place here. Um, and he claims to be an agent of science. And we get this wonderful conversation, which is like the centerpiece of the novel in a lot of ways, about really it comes down to is the horror of science, right? If you've ever really thought about like animal, you know, testing, you know, how, they, you know, how many animals have to die for science to, to make achievements, whether it's a vaccine or uh, some new treatment or whatever, it's, you know, it, it happens all the time. And if you have to be a scientist, you're, working in biological fields you're constantly killing things and it's just a sacrifice that must be done for the name of science right and it's not that hard to kind of extend that to people right and science does demand these sacrifices that's the horrible thing about it right it's like nurses have died you know in treating covid right we saw this in aerosmith you know how doctors died in the treatment of this plague it's you know madam curry gets radiation poisoning you know, in the name of science. Science does demand these kinds of sacrifices. And there's something kind of horrible about it, right? From the, the sacrifice of the patients in the prison. Um, we learn later on it's all not necessary in this particular Clarendon's case because he's doing dark magic and he's not really trying to cure disease. But in a normal environment, you know, we as a society make the judgment that, you know, experimenting on college students or prisoners or something or, or homeless or whoever is willing to take this drug for the money you know some of them may die but that's a that's that's a cost we as society are willing to bear for the benefits of, of science um, so really a wonderful section here and it kind of sets up the ultimate conflict which is going to be will the uh, test will an experiment be done on Georgina at the end um, now, we get a little bit here as well of Surnama's story of, of Atlantis and the Atlanteans um, and what they knew. Because in this story, the Atlanteans are a real civilization that actually existed. So this is, um, this is Alfred. Yes, it might be horrible, but it's glorious too. The pursuit of knowledge, I mean. Certainly there's no solidly sentiment connected with it. Does nature kill? Constantly and remorselessly. And are any but fools horrified by the struggle? Killings are necessary. They are the glory of science. We learn something from them. And we can't sacrifice learning to sentiment. Here the sentimentalists howl against vaccination. They fear it will kill the child. Well, what if it does? How else can we discover the laws of the disease concerned? As a scientist's sister, you, be, you uh, ought to know better than to prate sentiment. End quote. Oh, this is actually the section on the, the horror of science. The, the stuff about uh, Surnama is even creepier. Um, she says, like, these things you're saying that are horrible. And he says, horrible? You think what I say is horrible? You ought to hear Surama. I tell you things were known to the priests of Atlantis that would have you drop dead of fright if you've heard a hint of them. Knowledge was knowledge 100,000 years ago when our special forebears were shambling around Asia as speechless semi-apes. They knew something of it in the Horard region. There were rumors of it farther upland in Tibet. 
and once I heard an old man in China calling on Yog Sothoth. Wonderful kind of global conspiracy of it all. I mean, this is really something Lovecraft must have added. Um, but the, the Castro story here allows him to put it on a global scale, which he doesn't always do. He does it sometimes, and, and, and often enough that I think it's thematically crucial to understanding him. But in the revisions, you get a much broader canvas for painting this, these ideas on. That, I think, is a lot of the contribution of them. And even if we can't always agree on, should this be a Lovecraft story or a DeCastro story or a collaboration, definitely Lovecraft's fingerprints are all over this. And, and he puts them into this broader, like the Arkham Cycle stories. So anyways, Georgina notices the illness of Dick, their dog, their dog named Dick. And he's come down with a black fever. And Alfred's strange behavior, because he kind of rushes the dog away and says he's going to treat it, but then they never see the dog again. So all of this kind of baffles her. And then she sees him reading from a book which has this strange alphabet. And so with all this, everything she's seen and experienced, Georgina finally decides to ask for intervention. And for this intervention, she goes to none other than James Dalton, the former friend of Alfred Alfred Clarendon. So this brings us to the climax of the story, chapter five. So this this story, it's all set, or this chapter, it's all set on twentieth uh, of May. It's the climax moment of the story, and uh, it's kind of there's a little action scene where Sir Ama and Alfred have to fight, um, and we find Georgina is being afflicted with this black fever, possibly. Um, the Tibetans have vanished because they're all working in the lab now so things are happening in the house and so there's a little tension here it's kind of a nice it's, ni it's nicely constructed here how everything kind of comes together to very tense moments um, now Dalton arrives and he sees the library and this is a great Lovecraftian library moment where you go to the library and you see oh it's the Necronomicon is here and all these other weird books. That shouldn't be in a biologist library. He must be up to some weird stuff. He must have picked up these books in Tibet and he shouldn't be reading them because they're dangerous ideas. Uh, we get, uh, like, the library. I, I love the Lovecraftian libraries. Kerwin's, of course, is the master library, but, you know, but it's here, too. Um, so... He finally, Alfred's, not Alfred, sorry, Dalton, um, is able to, to finally confront Alfred. And he, he eventually confesses on his research, his experiments on Georgina, and the broader narrative of this black fever. Basically, the story is Sarama, who he found in Africa, and he seems not to be human, which we've kind of already figured out, if you're not too dumb. He's kind of like some kind of ancient wizard that's um, been raised or kept alive. He's certainly not human. He's not really fully alive. But it's Sarama that got him into this research, basically with promises of, of research into eternal life and alchemy stuff. Um, he did have authentic goals early on. It was kind of like, the, you know, get, get to your destination quick through dark magic kind of path he took. 
Um, that's how you sort of. That's how many people become bad, bad scientists, right? That's, that's kind of the typical trope. Um, but he embraces all this forgotten old knowledge, um, and so at the end of the story, we we turn radically towards this theme of forgetting. So much of the story is really it seems to be more about science and exploration and discovery and finding new things, and that's there. But once we learn that everything that he said has been basically been a lie. And that the black fever is actually something that they have brought upon the community and their victims. That these are essentially experiments that they're inflicting on people. Um, then the focus becomes on destroying and eradicating this whole thing. Like just, you know, making it so in a few years people will remember a little bit of a black fever outbreak. But, you know, it went away. And. Clarendon was doing something weird at the ho at the prison, but he got fired, and that's the end of it. That's what will be in the newspapers. That's what will be in the historical record. But all the stuff about Sarama and uh, the Tibetans and the, the the weird dark magic that will be eradicated, right? And that's what Dalton heroically must do. So he kind of takes on the role of a Willet here and 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 just putting on his shoulders the eradication of this knowledge, burning the library, burning the lab. Um, so we get a what you know we get a whole description of his the weird you know there's still questions I guess but that we get a bare, fairly clear picture of what he was up to how he spread it um, how the black fever is supernatural and he basically gets Dalton to agree to eradicate all and to stop Sarama and he agrees to do that and Alfred uh, burns down the lab with himself in it and that's that brings us to the end of the story and then we got a little bit of an epilogue here which is a little bit melodramatic where dalton marries georgina you know alfred's name is a little bit tarnished but not you know it's just you know it's it's not georgina's doesn't bear the full weight of the sins of her brother dalton marries her they live essentially happily ever after quote the Daltons had led for their whole a very happy life, for their cloud of terror lies far in the background, and a strong mutual love has kept the world fresh for them. That's more of a... That seems more of a... Doesn't seem like a very Lovecraftian moment there. Um, but he adds, But there are little things which disturb them oddly, little things of which one would scarcely even think of complaining. They cannot bear pe pe persons who are lean or deep-voiced beyond certain limits. And Georgina turns pale at the sound of any general clucking, chuckling. Senator Dalton has a mixed horror of occultism, travel, hyperdermics, and strange alphabets, which he finds hard to unify. This is kind of silly, actually, at the end. Usually Lovecraft would do one thing, right? It was like, why am I afraid of the cold? Or why am I afraid of that neighborhood? Or why, am I, why don't I go in the subways? Here, so they're afraid of everything. Um, but anyways, I really like this story. I think The Last Test is a really, really solid story. And, and I don't know how much of it is DeCastro, how much it's Lovecraft. You definitely see Lovecraft's touches in the effort to eradicate this, the global kind of context of it, the introduction of his own kind of mythos, the Yorks of Thoth stuff, um, the engagement with science. Is, is interesting, the scientist as the protagonist of the story. Um, of course, usually in the Lovecraft stories, we don't get a strong female character. We get that here. 
And I think that's something to say about the revisions, too, is, you know, we almost pretty rarely get female characters in the things sign Lovecraft stories. But he wrote women in these revisions. Um, maybe because in many cases that was the, the tale that was given to him that to work on, whether it was ghostwriting or just revising it. But he is capable of doing this. Um, and this is a good example. Of, this is probably the most fully developed female character we've had um, yet. Maybe there'll be one in another revision. But, um, but there it is. Um, now, like the Electric Executioner, this one has a, you know, this all happened a long time ago and, and kind of the world's moved on um, kind of feel. Um, so, yeah. I'll talk about that next time. So, anyways, I don't have too much more to say about it. I think uh, I don't want to dwell on the revisions too much. I don't want to kind of break them down line by line. Um, but I think they're worth reading. And I think this is definitely one you won't want to miss because there's a lot of fun stuff in it. And it's, it's a pretty solid story. Um, maybe thanks to Lovecraft's contribution. So in the next episode, I will be looking at The Electric Executioner, which is the second Alfonso de Castro revision or collaboration. Another one where, where it's pretty clear Lovecraft had his fingers in it quite a lot. So it's more something 50-50, perhaps. Um, 60-40, some number like that, right? Um, but anyways, that'll be next episode. So uh, I look forward to talking about The Electric Executioner uh, with you next time. Thanks for listening. I'll see you then.